everybody. This is Jamie. And this is Paul. And welcome to another episode. And welcome to another episode of Criminally Disturbed. I don't know what happened there. I just forgot how to talk. Maybe it is the adult beverages. It might be. It might be. Yeah. So I uh, would love to have you back listening to us. We are trying to get minimum of two episodes updated or, and uploaded a week. A week. And uh, sometimes we do one, sometimes we do two. May actually get three this week. Right. So. Yeah. Because we're trying to build our listener base. Right. So we feel that, you know, if we bombard y'all with episodes, y'all won't get <laughs> bored and go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we like to listen to other podcasts as well. Wicked and Grim is one of them. Of course. Morbid. Of course, Morbid, obviously. Favorite. Yeah, favorite of ours. And and there's others that we've listened to. But, you know, we want to try to build our listener base. And and so we are uploading multiple episodes a week. Yes. So stay tuned. We use Anchor to Mm -hmm. build our our podcasts and get them uploaded. And then from there, it goes out to several of the platforms, which is uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Amazon Music and Podcast Addict. And then there's other ways that that you can get those as well, depending on where they're advertised. Right. And whichever platform you decide that you want to listen to us with, Mm -hmm. if you would please just leave us a rating. Yeah. So that way other listeners can see and be like, hey, I want to listen to them too. Right. Sure. And uh, the rating, it'll help us get better. Right. You know, uh, if we get a one-star rating, which... That would suck. It would suck, but at the same time, it lets us know... Hey, you suck. No. (laughs) No. No, our (laughs) listeners don't suck. No, I'm talking about that would would tell us that, hey, we suck. Yeah, yeah, I got you. So, if it does happen to be one star, hey, send us an email. And tell us why we suck. Yeah, and let us know why we suck. So, uh, see... Disturbed podcast at gmail.com and please let us know why we got that one star. Or sure. you, you don't have to email us just because you think, hey, these fools deserve one star. If you like the podcast and would like to hear certain content, yeah, you can send us an email about that. Right. If you have any stories about any beasties or ghosties <laughs> or yeah. just anything, send that to us too. Yep, exactly. So we definitely want to hear from y'all, good or bad. Right now, obviously, the majority of our listeners are in the United States, but we also have listeners in Denmark, yay, Canada, yay, Sweden, yay, the UK, yay, Australia, yay. and it looks like we have one listener in Guam. Yay! Thank y'all for listening. Yes, thank y'all very much, and uh, definitely want you guys to come back. So. And if you enjoy us, um, feel free to share us with your friends also. Absolutely. And speaking of coming back, Mm. we are going to revisit this POS or POS uh, Mm -hmm. that is named Marcus Wesson. You Mm -hmm. have part two for us. I do. And if everybody needs a little reminder where we ended part one, they were up in the mountain. Yeah, in the mountain. Had no money. No money. The girls were going down and digging through dumpsters for food. And they were offered a job. Or no, they were offered uh, the, the fruit and stuff. Yes. The bad fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And at this time, 
Well, Marcus, a little bit before this, Marcus had started having babies with his nieces he did. and daughters. He did. But didn't you say that the girls, he was going to be putting the girls to work right before you ended? That's where I'm picking up at. Ah. Yes. And that's where I, yeah, I was like, I was really curious yeah. as to as to what he's going to be having these girls do. So, so. we're at the top of the mountain, <clears throat> not the top, but... And Marcus decides that, hey, we have no money, so instead of my ass going to work, we're going to go back to Fresno, and I'm going to find jobs for my nieces and daughters. When we uploaded episode one, or part one, of Marcus Wesson, you also shared it to our Facebook page. I did. Uh, which is Criminally Disturbed on, on Facebook. You also put some pictures. I did. And uh, I didn't know and was not expecting Marcus Wesson to look like he did. Yeah. You know, so. And those were actually good pictures. I wouldn't really call them good pictures, <laughs> yeah. but the pictures that I share with this episode, I don't want to really tell anything about them because you'll just have to listen to the episode. But the ones that go with this episode, he don't look as, um, I don't want to call him pleasant either. I got you. But I guess we could say he looks worse. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Okay. Well, let's get into this. Okay, so we are in 1997. Marcus decided that the family needs to move back to Fresno so the girls can go to work. He sets up interviews for Sophina, Ruby, Kiani, and Sabrina at McDonald's. At McDonald's? Yes. Okay. So the girls start working there, and they actually have really good work ethics, and I would assume because at home they the women take care of everything. Yeah, yeah. Including, you know, scratching armpits and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was one of their jobs right. in, uh, in part one. I don't think they would need that at McDonald's, but you never know. No, and you have to wonder where, you know, where's this good work ethic coming from that they have, you know? Well, because they do everything. I mean, he literally did not lift a finger yeah. to do anything. So... Based on that, the area supervisor actually transferred Ruby and Kiani to another McDonald's in the area, and they actually were trained as managers. So uh, when he transferred them mm -hmm. to this other store, mm -hmm. okay, uh, did uh, that area manager clear that with Marcus? I'm not sure. You see what I'm going right. at? I mean, you know, he liked to be in, in control. control. Right. So, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, knowing that they're going to work, any money that they make has to be turned over to Marcus. Right. So the family, when they move back, they move into a duplex. The girls are working. But before they go to work, he starts, you know, warning them, you can't talk to nobody. He also becomes distrustful of them. Now, what I want to point out here is you're distrustful, but you, you're the one that wanted them to go to work. Mm. Now, Teresa Knorr, she was forcing her kids to go out there and prostitute. Right, and bring her the money. But then became mm -hmm. untrusting of right. them and things. Mm -hmm. Same kind of situation here. Right, but at least Teresa Knorr didn't think she was God. I mean, that really don't make oh, her I any know. better. I, I know. At the same time, it's the same premise. You know, right. you're, you're forcing your kids to go out there because... You're such a piece of shit that you won't go to work. Right. You're forcing your kids to go to work, and then you don't trust them while they're out there doing it and right. bringing money home. Mm -hmm. I just cannot fathom 
that. My thing is, if you're that distrustful and you don't want them having anything to do with anybody, then why don't you go to work? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I do. <laughs> Piece of shit. Right. Yeah. So despite these warnings from Marcus, his niece Ruby actually made friends with another worker at McDonald's. Her name was Emma. And while she's working with Emma, Ruby begins to see that I don't have to live like this. Mm. And I'm also thinking it's probably easier for Ruby to see that being that she's a niece and she wasn't actually born into that lifestyle. Mm. She was, I'm not sure what her age was when her mother basically gave them to Marcus. Yeah. But I mean, she does know a life before this lifestyle. Well, okay. All right. So anyway, she decides that she's going to leave. Good for her. So she got off early one day and she went to Emma's house and nobody could find her. But finally, the next day, Elizabeth figured out, Marcus's wife, Mm -hmm. figured out where she was. So she went and she got her and brought her back. Gotcha. So when she gets there, Ruby and Marcus are in the bedroom and they're talking and Ruby tells Marcus that she eventually wanted to get married and have a family of her own. She don't want to live there anymore. She wants to have a family of her own. Right. Which is completely normal. (laughs) Right. So how did this dude react? He tells her, you are already married. Because remember, she's married to him. That's right. Right. If you leave me, you will be committing adultery. So let that sink in for a minute. Yeah, I know. I Got to let that process for a second. Mm -hmm. So after he tells her, if you leave me, you'll be committing adultery, he repeatedly strikes her in the scalp with his fist. That is ridiculous. Then, of course, that night she's forced to sleep in the bedroom with him, I guess, so he can make sure that she's not going to run out during the night. Finally, she kind of relents and is like, okay, I'm going to stay. I mean, she pretty much had no choice. That's true. She wasn't given a choice. Right. Because, I mean, obviously they would hunt her down. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Her punishment for this was she was beat for 10 days in a row with a bat. She was, and of course, she was covered with bruises. Now, was this, you said a bat. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm picturing a Louisville slugger here. I'm thinking it was a wooden bat because it said a miniature bat. Oh, so, a miniature bat, not right. a full-size... Not M- like a full-size metal right, bat. Right, okay. All right, right. gotcha. Not like MLB, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, that's swinging cool. for that the fences. That would be horrible. Right? I, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him, though. I wouldn't either, but I mean, assumingly she lived. If it was a, a full-size MLB regulation-size bat, then or even a softball-size, you know, a softball yeah. regulation bat, mm-hmm. she probably wouldn't live from that. Probably not. So, miniature bat. Okay. So, after this, he does uh, arrange for her to go to work for another restaurant that's in town, obviously, to get her away from her friend Emma. So, no more McDonald's. No more McDonald's. Okay. Not long after Ruby's attempt to run away, he purchases a boat, which was named the Sudan. Where did he get the money for a boat? I guess the girl's money from working because they're not on food stamps or welfare anymore. Well, McDonald's... Doesn't really pay. Now, oh, wait, they're in California. Right. So McDonald's pays more in California. And there's four of them working. Oh, 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 okay. All right. And this is still close to the time that the sons left. So remember the first two years that the sons were out of the family, they had to send their paychecks to Marcus as well. That's right. You yeah. did say that in part one. Right. 
and you know they went back and they were just gone mm-hmm. so apparently they did leave a forwarding address for their checks well yeah i'm sure <laughs> it, it didn't say how long after that that they eventually yeah. got back in contact with the boys but i mean you, obviously they did because marcus needed that money yeah which i'm still back on you could have went to work that's right okay exactly Continue. I'm going to step right here to the fridge and grab me another beer. Okay. The Sudan was docked in Marin County. I didn't Google map this to see what the distance was between Fresno and the Sudan, but Marcus would have to travel because some of the family stayed in Fresno and then some of the family actually lived on the Sudan. So Marcus would travel back and forth between both. And the women would work during the summer at a conference center, they mm-hmm. were like, they worked for um, a banquet, not mm-hmm. a banquet, but like like, a, a, like serving. Yeah, like yeah. a catering part of it. And then during the winter, they would go back to, to their fast food jobs. So okay. during okay. the summer when they were working for at the, it was actually called the Marconi Conference Center. Mm-hmm. They lived on the Sudan. Got it. And when, and during the winter, when they went back to their fast food jobs, they went back to Fresno. Mm-hmm. So... Ruby actually tried to run away again. The second time that she ran away, she went to Emma's house. Mm-hmm. Or this time when Ruby tried to run away, she was she was on the Sudan. And she actually ended up being there by herself one day. So she goes to town. There's a lady she meets, didn't know the lady. And, and the lady could tell that she was upset. And the lady asked her, What's wrong? And Ruby obviously didn't give her details, but she said, I'm trying to get to so-and-so town. Mm-hmm. So the lady actually paid for her a bus ticket. So Ruby gets to this town, and it's where Emma's at, but Emma wouldn't let her stay with her because Emma had other family members living there. Yeah. But she did help Ruby find a place to stay for a couple of nights. Mm-hmm. Well, then after that, Ruby didn't have nowhere to go, so Ruby actually goes back to her mother's house, Rosemary. I see. The one that gave her up. Rosemary is was like, you need to return to Marcus. What? Yes. And Ruby's like, Ruby actually tells her, uh, he beats me and I've had his child. So she told her this and, and she said what? Rosemary tells her you made the choice that you wanted to marry him. Oh, that's bullshit. She was a child. Right. Rosemary contacts Elizabeth the Marcus. And you know where Ruby ends back up. Yeah. Mm. That is just sickening. So, Rosemary contacted Elizabeth and Marcus. Ruby agreed to meet Marcus at a nearby Denny's. And Ruby again tells him, I'm not happy. I don't want to live there anymore. And Marcus told her, well, you need to stay with the family and help raise all these children that we have. Because, you know, we had these children for the Lord. And also, if Ruby left, she would not be able to take her daughter with her because she did, at this time, she did have a daughter with Marcus. Right, right. And she would not be able to take her. In the year of 1998, 24-year-old Safina, another niece, decides that she wants to leave. She told Marcus that she had actually kissed a man that she worked with, and she wanted to go live with her aunt in San Jose. He agrees to drive her there, Marcus goes in and tells Elizabeth, hey, we're finna leave. I'm going to take Sophina to her aunt's house. So Marcus and Sophina load up. They're going down the road. 
And he does a U-turn and he goes back because they're staying on the boat. Mm -hmm. He goes back and he asks Safina, have you asked the Lord to forgive you for all your sins? Do you love the Lord? And Safina's like, yeah. And he reaches over and stabs her in the chest. I don't even know what to say to that. I know. I mean, why? I don't know because he didn't stab anybody else. But Safina, he stabbed. Why, though? I, I don't know. Anyway, <sighs> she passes out in the van. They're still in the van. So she's alive. She is alive. She does live. Um, he stabs her. She passes out. She wakes up. They're still in the van. So finally, she just kind of defeated and stabbed and bleeding, just gets up and goes and gets back in the boat and lays down in the bed. And then, of course, Marcus goes in there to Elizabeth and tells Elizabeth what happened. And she's like, what? Why would you do that? Yeah. And so Elizabeth goes and doctors her up. So she never went to the hospital for this. She did end up with a pretty good-sized scar. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh. Horrible. I mean, dude, these... Okay, let's set aside the fact that you already think of these girls as yours just, you know yours but also garbage okay mm -hmm. they are the ones that are bringing the money into the house why would you disable basically mm -hmm. uh one of the ones a 24 year old who's very capable of going out there and working right and i'm trying to i'm look i'm trying to put my mindset into this whole Marcus Wesson process of thinking. If you have, you know, you're trying to have that much control and you're forcing these girls out there to go and work and boys, then why in the hell would you stab one? Right. Because him asking her, are you right with the Lord, basically? Okay, are, are you right? He was trying to kill her. Right. He was basically saying... Okay, and stabs her thinking that she was going to die. Right. When somebody says that, that's what their, their purpose is. Mm -hmm. Why? You're cutting off some income out of this house. Well, that and I guess the fact of that she and his eyes belong to him, so it's better that she die than get away from him. So I guess that kind of outweighed the bringing in the income, Well, I guess. I'm, I don't know. It's I, hard to think like him because we're not fucked up in the head. No, I agree. I agree. I think you're right. She said she kissed a man, mm -hmm. and he got jealous. Oh, he was pissed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that is it. That's all it was. He got jealous because she kissed a man, and she wanted to leave mm -hmm. and do her own thing at 24 years old. Nine times out of ten, that's what kids are supposed to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. He got mad. He got jealous mm -hmm. and said, right. like, you know, Norman Bates in the shower type thing. Right. So, anyway. Now we're back to Ruby, niece Ruby. She had actually fallen in love with the coworker also. And, and there's a few months in between this, so it's not like immediately. Right. And, of course, she's like, if Marcus finds out, he's going to kill me, obviously, because of the <laughs> Sophina incident. Yeah. <laughs> so for the third time, she decides that she's going to run away. But, Good for her. Right. And she's like, this time, I'm not coming back. Of course, she's going to have to leave her daughter behind, but I guess... By now, she's kind of like, I, I've got to get out of there. Yeah. And then, you know, later on, figure out how to get my daughter out. That's right. So she got off work early one day and hid at her new boyfriend's mother's house. 
And I'm assuming with this one, nobody knew about this new boy. Well, obviously they didn't, but I figured that the sisters that worked with her would be yeah. like Tipped going back off. and right. Yeah. Um, but she managed to keep this hidden. So she goes, stays at his mother's house. She didn't even return to her job at the hotel. I mean, okay. she cut off all ties. And so her and her boyfriend lived with his mother until they were able to get an apartment together. Mm -hmm. And this time, thank God, she did stay gone. Good. Yeah. Ruby finally gets away. Mm -hmm. Sophina, who is still there with the family, is more miserable, but is still trying to figure out how she's going to get away because, remember, she was stabbed. Right. Now, is this a debilitating Wound? No, because she's still working. She Oh, he still put her out there. He put her back to work. Oh, my Stabbing God. all. I wonder if Elizabeth sewed her up. You know what I'm saying? I know she took care of it. Yeah, you said but, she took care of it. Right, but, but it didn't go into detail about what she did to take care of it. Well, you know, if you don't stitch it, right, it, it takes a lot longer mm -hmm. to heal, mm -hmm. and that's how you get a massive scar. Right. So, yeah. I'm not sure. And he put her right back to work. She went right back to work. Jeez. And mm. Elizabeth is not her mother. Rosemary is Sophina's mother. The Remember? one that gave him up. Right. Yeah, I got you. So even if she went to her mother, you know what her mother would say. Oh, we well, you made your choice. To marry him. Okay. Anyways. It's <laughs> bullshit. So while, while Sophina is working at the hotel still working in the banquet business. Mm -hmm. She meets a friend, a man there named Milton, mm -hmm. and he becomes like a good friend of hers. She would like go to him and be like, this, this, and this. He was kind of like an ear for her or a shoulder to lean on. Yeah. As of now, Marcus has actually forbidden Sophina to have any contact with their son, Jonathan, because she has a son with Marcus. He is now five years old. And she can't have any contact with She him? can't have any contact Why with Why is that? She's even living in the same house, but she can't have any. It's punishment. That's ridiculous. Right. The only reason now that she's staying in the Weston home and not trying to get away is because she wants to be near Jonathan, even though she can't have anything to do with him. You always want to be, you know? Right. Marcus promised her that Mother's Day's coming up, so Marcus promises her, hey, on Mother's Day, I'm going to let you actually... Spend time with Jonathan. That sounds like a setup. Right. So she's like, okay, well, I have this to look forward to. Mother's Day comes, and all the other kids had made something for their mothers. Mm -hmm. The gift that Jonathan made was given to Elizabeth. Oh, see, that's when she just should have bolted. So she goes to work, and she tells Milton, and, of course, she's upset. I mean, this is your child. Absolutely. You were told you could spend time with him. Absolutely. Well, the other girls, they would snitch on Sophina anytime they caught her talking to Milton. Why is that? Because they were ordered by Marcus to snitch. God, oh. They're still brainwashed. The other girls that are snitching, they're not trying to get away. So they're still loyal to him. So the other girls, they would go back and they would, they would tell Marcus, hey, Sophina's talking to Milton, and Marcus would beat her. Safina finally comes to the realization that she actually has feelings for Milton. Okay. Yeah. He's a lot older than her. He was old enough to be her father, but it didn't matter. I mean, he was that... He was what she needed. He was what she needed. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, with him supporting her, she 
worked up the courage to ask again if she could leave the house. And this time Marcus is actually like, yeah, you you can, but I got some rules for you. (laughs) She'd still have to turn over her paycheck for the next two years, obviously. At night, she would sleep at her mother's house, but during the day on her days off, she would have to come to the Weston house and be there during the day on her days off. So for the next couple of months, she actually did this, but she ended up becoming pregnant with Milton's child. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. So she tells Marcus that she's pregnant. He asks, can I have the baby? (laughs) Can I have that baby? Yeah. Dude, come on. So anyway, she's like, this is Milton's baby. I don't think he'll let me give it to you. So Marcus is finally like, you know what? It's time for you to leave this house. You're nothing but a bad example. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Right. Oh, man. So, Safina leaves the house. She has to leave her son, Jonathan, behind. Um, But after she left, she did periodically return to visit Jonathan. So, I don't don't know how much of a visit she got to have with them when she returned. But she would bring them the family money. She would bring the family food. And she would bring the family clothing anytime that she visited. Okay. I don't really know why. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe so she could continue to come see her son Jonathan. Maybe so. Maybe you know, so. Maybe if I the bring something they yeah. need. Yeah. yeah. After Ruby and Safina leave, Marcus obviously brings up stricter rules for the girls. At work, they are not to look at, talk to, or touch their male coworkers. If a male asked them a question, they were to turn and walk away. And niece Rosie was put in charge of reporting the violations. (laughs) Right? Shit. Rosie's reporting the violations. Marcus's daughter, Gypsy, got in trouble the most Mm -hmm. out of all the girls. One day at work, a male co-worker held a door open for her because she was carrying a bunch of food trays. Mm -hmm. So she walked through the door because he's holding the door open. Sure. That's a no-no. Why is that a no-no? She if, should she should have went and opened another door, and she actually tried to argue with Marcus and say, my arms were full of trays, Yeah. at which point he said, you could have put them down, opened the door, and then... So even something as simple as walking through a door that a male was, was holding open, they got in trouble for that. His logic is insane. Right? So Gypsy got beat with a switch for that offense. And the girls were also forced to wear their hair in tight buns while they were at work. So one day after work, Gypsy's head was hurting, so she took her hair down. Marcus found out, asked her why. She said, my hair was hurting. It was after work. So he tells her, go get a metal spoon. Well, this metal spoon had slots in it. And she held out her hand, and she was hit in the palm of her hand 36 times. The slots in the spoon actually lacerated her palm. And he did this right before she was going to work. So she had to go to work with her palm bloody. So at work, she actually doctors up her palm. I have to ask, are there co-workers raising some concerns? Not for the other girls, but with Gypsy, 
yes, after this incident, a coworker did help her doctor up her palm. Mm-hmm. You got to remember, the girls were told not to talk to anybody right. and all this. So if you have a coworker that's like that, that won't talk to anybody, I mean, how can you actually build a relationship with them? Nah, that's, I mean, yeah, that's true. But if you see signs of abuse. But if that person won't talk to you, what do you do? You follow them home and beat the shit out of Marcus West. That's true. That is That's true. That's what you do. So, in December of 2003, when Gypsy was 19 years old, she ran away. Good. And she stayed gone. Good. Yes. They were eventually evicted from the Sudan, the mm-hmm. boat. Mm-hmm. So, well, wait a minute. I thought he bought it. Well, the reason why they were evicted was the boat was not livable. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so they were evicted by basically authorities. Authorities. Because, yeah. Yes. Got it. So the whole all the family moved back to Fresno. So one day, I guess they're just like driving through town and there was this antique dealer and Marcus sees these coffins. I guess maybe he the t- the dealer had one sitting outside. And Marcus is like, ooh, I like those. So they stopped. And I don't like where this is going. He ended up purchasing 10 large mahogany coffins. They were $500 a piece. And he bought 10 of them. So anyways, brings them home. He didn't lift them when he got them from the dealer. The girls had to lift them, load them up, and actually carry them into the house. They were converted into beds for the youngest kids. They didn't actually, I, I know that sounds creepy, but it they does. Didn't. <laughs> it does. It really does. They didn't actually sleep inside them. What they did was they put a sleeping bag on top of the coffin, and then they laid a piece of plywood, and then on top of that, they laid a mattress. So the sleeping bag was to keep the plywood from scratching the coffins. And then that's where the younger kids slept, on top of a coffin. But why? I don't know what his actual plan was for the coffin. I mean, I, mean, I don't I, know. I mean, why? Okay, you buy a coffin and then you make the you make them sleep on top on of them. Top of mm-hmm. what? What? Nobody ever said what his actual plan was in the long run. I don't think. What? Yeah. That is stupid. Yeah. So, his father, Ben, Marcus's father, Ben, read a letter to Elizabeth encouraging the family to move to Seattle because that's where Marcus's mom and father are living. Mm -hmm. Ben tells Elizabeth that he can help Marcus find a job, which I call bullshit because Marcus ain't going to go to work. Right. But Ben did point out something. He said that the children needed to be in school because they're all still being homeschooled. Ben even says that he would help pay for private school for the children. Mm -hmm. And obviously he sees that there's eventually something's going to catch up with. um, Authorities are going to figure out these kids are not in school. Ben writes this letter because obviously he's sensing maybe potential danger that authorities are going to catch on that all these kids are not in school. Mm -hmm. And then where would that put the family? Right. Also around this time, the family's not really living in a home. It was actually a business. Like a commercial building. Like a commercial building. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's not zoned for residential. Right. So they were actually getting letters about that, that y'all need to move out of this building because it's zoned commercially. So they actually had an eviction notice and they had to be out by March the 12th. Okay. So they decide, okay, well, we'll load up and we'll go to Seattle and see how that goes. Mm -hmm. On March the 12th, Ruby and Safina decided they needed to go back and get son Jonathan and daughter Aviv from the house mm -hmm. because they're still there. And they didn't want the family to take their kids to Seattle because that would be even a harder chance for them to get their kids back. Right. So they know that Marcus isn't easily going to hand over their children. So, they just need to steal them. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they get a bunch of brothers, uncles, and cousins from their mother's side of the family to go with them over Hell there. Hell yeah. Let's beat Marcus Weston's ass. So I don't know if y'all remember from the first episode when the girls would have the babies, they would not list the father on the birth certificates because right. M Marcus didn't want his name on there. Mm -hmm. So luckily for these two, they had the children's birth certificates without the father's name on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they take the children's birth certificates with them. Good for them. Yes. Um, and it's going to get a little hectic in okay. the next few minutes. Okay. So everybody just... Try and follow along. All right. So I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna speak up. I'm gonna let you just get okay. hectic. Get crazy. So the women arrive at the house with the cousins, uncles, brothers. Marcus tells them that they could not take the children, but they could come back at any time and visit the children if Ruby and Sophina would just leave the house. Mm -hmm. Okay, the time right now is two fifteen PM. This is about forty five minutes after they arrived. Safina was in the living room of the house talking to Marcus. He leans over and he whispers something to Rosie, Kiani, and Sabrina. Rosie is a niece. Kiani and Sabrina are his daughters. Mm -hmm. So with one of the babies, Sedona, in her arms, Sabrina goes to the back bedroom at the rear of the house. Sabrina is followed by her sister, Elizabeth. Not Elizabeth the mom, but Elizabeth the daughter. Mm -hmm who has the children, Ethan and Aviv. Rosie takes Jonathan. So these three girls are walking to the back of the house with these kids. Sophina follows them because they have her son, Jonathan, that she's there to get. In this room, there's already the young children, Illabelle, Marche, and Jeeva. Mm -hmm. They were already in the room. So the three older women leave all the children in the room about this time, Sophina goes to Marcus because Marcus is calling her to the front door. Mm -hmm. So when Sophina goes to Marcus, the three, Sabrina, Elizabeth, and Rosie, follow her. So while Sophina is at the front door of Marcus, they start yelling at her, you're a whore, an adulterer, you need to bound to your master. And they're pointing to Marcus's feet. Everybody's just like, what the fuck? So anyways... This is... I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Y'all, this incident, I can't explain. I mean, even just reading about it, you can see how hectic it was. So, the girls that were yelling, Judas, they called her, called Sophina and Ruby, Judases and all this, well, those three girls go back to the bedroom. Sophina follows them, mm -hmm. like, okay, I gotta get Jonathan out of this bedroom. So she goes and she opens the door, and as she's trying to open the door, Elizabeth, the daughter, on the other side, begins to push the door shut. Mm -hmm. Sophina actually wedges herself in the door, halfway in the door, and she's halfway in the hallway. Mm -hmm. 
And what she's able to see when she looks into the room is she sees Sabrina rummaging through a brown leather bag. What's in the bag? I would assume a gun. Oh, shit. While this is going on, Kiani and Rosie actually come up behind Sophina, who was halfway in the door, halfway in the hallway, and they pull Sophina from the room. And the door shuts all the way. So all this is escalating. Two women that actually came with Ruby and Sophina were actually from their mother's side of the family, Mary Salazar and Valerie Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. They placed 911 calls. It was a total of five. Uh The calls were answered by a California Highway Patrol dispatcher, and then the dispatcher would transfer the calls to the Fresno police. Salazar placed the first 911 call at 2.13 p.m., the department said that the first officer was dispatched to the scene at 2.23. Wow. Ten minutes. But officers did not arrive till 2.35. So that's 22 minutes from the time that the first 911 call was placed. And everything in those 22 minutes is steadily escalating. Escalating, yeah. Right. Yep. Which, after all this went down, authorities, they were criticized for the handling well, of this. they should be. So, out of the calls... Mary Salazar placed the first three 911 calls and the fifth 911 call. Fifth? Fifth. Valerie Gonzalez played the fourth. Now, I want to point out the fifth 911 call that Mary Salazar placed. So she calls and she says, this is Mary. This is a domestic violence. Someone has a gun. We've called several times and no one's come here. When I called 911, they transferred me to, and then she says, I don't know, because I'm sure it's hectic and she don't remember sure. who she transferred to. Mm-hmm. The dispatcher, what city is this in? Mary says, this is in Fresno. And the dispatcher says, okay, let me transfer you because they're fixing to transfer her to Fresno. Right. So the dispatcher, like I said, was from California Highway Patrol that was having to transfer their calls to Fresno. After this call... The dispatcher laughed and said when they contacted the Fresno Police Department, every time we transfer the calls, they get more embellished. Now someone has a gun. I'm not sure. I'll let you tell. I don't know. But I think it's embellished. Oh, my goodness. So they're not taking this seriously at all. No. And I threw that in there because it's like, you motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm starting to get a little pissed off. <laughs> So at this point, in all this argument, Marcus's wife, Elizabeth, her sister, Rosemary, who is Ruby and Sophina's mother, who told Ruby earlier, well, you decided to marry Marcus, Mm -hmm. she arrives on the scene. Who the hell called her? I don't know, Mm. bitch. She strongly objects to her grandchildren being removed from the Wesson home, and she begins... To fight with her daughters and her sons in front of the house. She swung at her daughter, Sophina, hitting her in the mouth. Her son, Marco, blocked his mother's fist with his arm because she was fixing to hit Sophina again. And while that's happening, Sophina actually did try to kick her mother. Marco pushes Rosemary away. And when he does that, Rosemary proceeds to attack her son, Danny, who's there. What the hell? Danny grabs her hands and puts her ass in a headlock. Good. Yeah. Finally, a Fresno police officer arrives. It's Officer Frank Nelson. 
He listens to what's going on, and he tells Marcus, you've got to turn over the children. So Marcus is protesting, and, and Officer Frank Nelson has to call his supervisor, Sergeant Patrick Jackson. Mm-hmm. Sergeant Jackson arrives, and Rosemary gets violent again, and she punches Sophina in the stomach. This time, we have police officers there, so Rosemary's sons and the officers actually run over and restrain her. So she should be uh, detained immediately. Yes. Sergeant Jackson explained to Marcus that if he wants custody of the children, he would actually, you know, have to go to court and file the paperwork. Yeah. And he said, well, I have a verbal agreement with the mothers, so that should be enough. No, no, that doesn't work that way. Right. Sergeant Jackson sees that they're starting to have issues, so at 2.50 p.m., he calls the city attorney, and the city attorney said that they that the police department at this time didn't have legal reason to enter the home. All of this that's going on, and there's there's actual violence that's happening yes. in front of the officer, and the city attorney says you don't have probable cause to get mm-hmm. into the home. Mm-hmm. Oh. And let's not forget, the two daughters and the children are still in that back bedroom. That's right, yes. and and allegedly. And I'm assuming that it came up while those officers were here that there is a gun somewhere. Yes. Okay. At 3.03 p.m., Sergeant Jackson actually calls CPS Mm -hmm. for a consultation. Around this time, Marcus, who had been in the doorway this whole time, he leaves the doorway and goes into the house. Oh, shit. At 3.35 p.m., Ruby and Sophina notice that Marcus is not at the front door. Because, I mean, there's all this shit going on in the front yard. That's 30 minutes later. Right. Which, they're fighting with their mother. Mm. There's They're having to talk to the police officers, fill them in on what's going on. I mean, it, this was a hectic scene. Mm-hmm. Safina runs to Sergeant Jackson, who was on his cell phone talking to the police department's legal advisor. And she tells Jackson he's going to kill the kids. Jackson holds up his hand indicating that he's on the phone. And at this point, I'm just like, what the fuck? She just said he's going to kill the kids, and you're going to hold up your hand like, hey, I'm on the phone here. Stop interrupting me. Right. As Sophina is doing this, wife Elizabeth, followed by daughter Kiani, Rosie, and son Serafino actually entered the house because they noticed Marcus is not in the doorway also. Mm -hmm. Wife Elizabeth made her way to the back bedroom. She opened the door. She entered the room. And she sees that Marcus is down on the floor in like a praying stance Mm -hmm. and has daughter Elizabeth at his side with tears streaming down her cheeks. Mm -hmm. And she looks up at her mother, Elizabeth, and and she's Elizabeth later stated that her face was like just kind of I give up or whatever. I know what's coming or Mm. so Elizabeth takes off from the room. She leaves the room and runs to the front door. So at this moment, while she was at that room witnessing this, Sophina has then run to Officer Nelson, who is sitting in his police cruiser, and she tells him he's fixing to kill the kids. Officer Nelson gets out of his car, and him and Sophina go to the front door. As they get to the front door, son Serafino is standing at the front door and will not let them in. The officer pulls his gun and says, Step aside. Mm-hmm. As they enter the house, at this moment, Elizabeth is running from the back bedroom because of what she had just saw. 
when she gets out into the front yard, she's yelling, they're all gone. They're all gone. Elizabeth falls into Safina's arms and the police ordered everybody away from the house. So we've got all the kids, the two older girls, Sabrina and Elizabeth, the daughter, and Marcus are all in the back bedroom. Everybody else was ordered to get away from the house. Well, I'm assuming there's no, since nobody heard any gunshots, I mean, what, what happened? I'm going to get to that. I need Shit. You. I, I'm anxiously, because I, I want to know what happened in that room. We are now at 347. Police cars are have obviously surrounded the house. They've had to call in SWAT. Officers are positioned in the front yard with the weapons drawn. At 447 p.m., Marcus finally emerges from the house with his clothes covered in blood. Oh, man. 25-year-old Sabrina, which was Marcus and Elizabeth's daughter, 13-month-old Jeeva. 13-month-old. 18-month-old Sedona. 18-month-old. 8-year-old Illabelle. 8. 7-year-old Jonathan, which was one of the kids that the mothers had came there to get that day, had all been shot in the right eye. 18-month-old Marche had been shot in his left eye. 7-year-old Aviv, whose mother was there to get her that day, had a gunshot wound to the right side of her face. Two of the victims had been shot more than once. 17-year-old Elizabeth suffered gunshot wounds to her upper eyelid and in her lower right eye. <clears throat> Four-year-old Ethan was shot in his right eye and the right side of his abdomen. Why their eyes? Because it would be instant death. And the explanation for Ethan's wound in his abdomen, it actually occurred after death because it said there was no bleeding in his abdomen or the mm-hmm. liver. Yeah. So I guess maybe the gun misfired. <sighs> the coroner's office determined that the seven younger victims had actually died between three and four. And Sabrina and Elizabeth had died an hour, up to an hour or two after the younger victims. So it's obvious that the seven babies they they were shot by Sabrina. In my mind, I actually think that Marcus killed Sabrina and Elizabeth. So you think, I remember you saying that Marcus whispered? To the girls. To the girls. And that was... I, that was when they went back to the back bedroom. And got, they gathered up all the kids yep. and took them to the back bedroom. Right. So he yeah. was... In my mind, nobody ever said what he said at that moment, right. but I'm sure he was, let's put the plan in place. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he had, he had, in episode one, he had a suicide pact mm-hmm. with them. Wow. I just, you know, thinking about that, they were shot. Mm-hmm. Nobody heard this gunshot, these gunshots. That's a lot of shots. And that was actually brought up. Nobody heard all these gunshots. The only gunshots were heard were the last two. And nobody at the scene heard the gunshots. The cops didn't hear the gunshots. The only person that claimed they heard the gunshots was a neighbor that claimed she heard the two gunshots. Mm. So somebody had actually posed the question, was there a silencer on the gun? I was thinking that myself. But it was never said. But I don't know how, I mean, because that was a lot of people that was there that day, in addition to the police officers. Yeah. And none of them heard the shots because the kids were still alive when all them people showed up. 
I just, I, I mean, there had to have been. There or, had to have been a silencer. Or, now, wait a minute. Did, did you say in part one what size gun that that they had? I don't remember if you said that or not. Um, I think I might mention it okay. here in a few minutes. If not, I can, I think it was a pistol. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if it's a twenty-two, that's a small bullet. It doesn't make a lot of noise. It's just barely louder than a pellet gun. Right. But if it's a thirty-eight or bigger, it's going to make a lot of noise. Right. Even if it has a silencer, the percussion mm-hmm. of that you would hear. What if the room was soundproof, though? Yeah, that's that's a good point too. If it was soundproofed, then yeah, but still, a gunshot from like say a 357 or 44 mm-hmm. or something like you're gonna hear it even in a soundproof room. Mm-hmm. After this happened, uh, Marcus's mother was interviewed by the LA Times. Uh, his mother insisted that all of her children had grown up in a loving religious family. Yeah, she said. If Marcus is guilty, I would really feel disappointed in my country if it did not make him face the penalty. If he if he's guilty. Oh, he's guilty. Right. She said, I'm a biblical person, too, and I don't believe in capital punishment. What I would like for Marcus to do is sit in prison and think about what he's done and read the Bible. I think he will come back. Spiritually, he will come back. Because I want to see my son in heaven someday. Okay. I want to see him sit in prison and read the Bible because she thinks he's going to come back to what? I I don't want to judge his mother because I'm not in her shoes. And even as fucked up as this is, this is her son. So I really don't know how, how I would react if, like, I mean, God, I hope one of our kids would not do this, but... Look, I would I, rather see you need to be down on your knees asking God for forgiveness. And I don't know. I don't know how I would react. Well, I cannot, like you say, I can't put myself in a parent's standpoint in this. It's unfathomable. Right. Okay. But as a person outside looking in, I mean, yeah, he needs to go to prison, and, and yes, he needs to be locked up, but at the same time, put me in a room for five minutes mm-hmm. with this piece of shit, mm-hmm. and I will fuck his world up. Exactly. I, I just... Or you know what? Beat his ass daily with a bat. Yeah. Or a metal spoon. Or a metal spoon or something, you know. Or a metal pole, because that's what he would beat the boys with. <sighs> Do it daily. I, I would... Absolutely beat the shit out of this guy. Mm-hmm. His fa- Marcus's father, Ben Wesson, died from prostate cancer just two weeks after Marcus was arrested. It's sad. Yeah. He had to witness this. Yeah. Elizabeth ended up visiting Marcus in jail when he first went. And he tells her that he had been feeling an electric current in his head since his arrest. This is his quotes. When I wake up, I hear static electricity. I turn my eyes each way. I feel shocked. I feel like I'm getting shocked. The Lord says he's never seen that from the beginning of time since man was mixing with angels. 
The Lord said, I have an angelic brain. Bullshit. You have a twisted brain. Right? Fucking asshole. Marcus also tells Elizabeth that the Lord put him in jail for a single reason. For him to lose weight. Oh, yeah. You're there to lose weight, all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once he reached his goal weight and had lost 190 pounds, the Lord would set him free. Good luck with that, buddy. Shortly after Marcus's arrest, an anonymous family member, we would later come to find out that it was his daughter, Gypsy, called the police and begged them not to let his wife, Elizabeth, Keani, Rosie, or anybody else visit with Marcus in jail. She was afraid that Marcus would instruct the women to kill themselves or others and that they would obey. And she had legit reason to be concerned. Absolutely, because of what happened at that house. Exactly. She said that even if he was monitored, even if the visits were monitored, Marcus would probably send a message using code words Mm. or phrases like go to the Lord or send others to the Lord. So the Fresno County Sheriff's Department, they took this warning seriously. They should have. And he was not allowed any visitors other than his lawyers. And, of course, that one visit with Elizabeth. Several reliable sources in and around the jail said that while he was in jail, when he wasn't writing, hell, I guess he was writing in his Bible. I don't know. He spent much of his time isolated in his cell masturbating. And then he would smear his ejaculate into his dreadlocks. That is fucking nasty. (laughs) Holy shit. Oh, my God, that is horrible. I don't mean to be laughing at this, but... Oh, my God, I could have gone my entire life without hearing that shit. This man is horrible. And again, what the fuck? Yeah, I know. What are you accomplishing by doing that? Oh, my God. I don't know. Maybe his ejaculate was angelic. Maybe that's why he had to spread it in his dreads. Fuck you, dude. Oh, my God. And when he was arrested... His dreads had reached to the back of his knees. That's how long they were. Do you know how how dreads are made? Yes. I mean... Yes. Look, they're cool, but at the same time, they're made over time with different things. And if you don't take care of your dreads, they stink. I was just going to say, because I've seen videos of people actually, you know... Because every so often they do wash their hair with the dreads. I mean, the dreads still stay right. dreads, but right. they do have to wash their hair. But there's, if and, you don't take care right, of them, right. they reek. Yeah. Horrible. And imagine if you got ejaculate in your dreads, then oh, it just is crusty. Ugh. Okay, oh. anyways. On March 3rd of 2005, the trial of Marcus Wesson began. The DA had decided against pursuing conspiracy charges against any of the surviving family members. Hmm. He faced a total of 23 charges, nine counts of first-degree murder, 14 counts of raping and molesting his daughters and nieces, and the DA's office had added a multiple murders special circumstance to his charges, which made Marcus eligible for the death penalty. Good. If he was convicted of murder. And I hope he sits on death row for years and then gets well, put to death. But anyway. I got to update to that at the end of this episode. Good. Before the trial, an expert actually offered his opinion about Wesson. Mm-hmm. He stated that Wesson's nomadic polygamous lifestyle had many hallmarks of a charismatic psychopath 
who manipulates followers through a mixture of isolation, sexual indoctrination, and his own paranoid preaching. Sounds like a cult leader to me. Yes. Marcus's public defender wanted to plead insanity, and they were going to base that off of Marcus's belief that he was a vampire and had actually written, written about his desire to start a new religion that mixed vampirism and Christianity. Maybe that's what he was writing while he was in prison <laughs> when he wasn't jacking off. Yeah. But according to California law, that could not be used without Marcus actually agreeing to them using the insanity. And he didn't? And he did not. He's God. What are you talking about? That's insane enough. I know, but he's God. God's not insane. He had an angelic brain. Dude, you're not God, okay? You're not even, you're not a Christian. Right. You're, the only thing you are is a waste of, of air. human, yeah, waste of air, waste of human life. Mm -hmm. You're a piece of shit. Yes. That, seriously, give me five fucking minutes with this dude. Right. So their strategy ended up being they were going to lay the blame for the murder solely on his daughter, Sabrina. They argued that the physical evidence showed that she had killed her eight siblings in the back bedroom and then turned the gun on herself. And the evidence actually proved that Marcus was not in the room when the first seven children were killed, when the younger kids were killed. But the pros prosecution said, ha ha, even though he wasn't the one that actually pulled the trigger, he cited that suicide pact with his children. So, therefore, he is responsible for the murders. Yeah. So, they wanted, the prosecution wanted them him to be convicted under the theory of aiding and abetting. The prosecution only had to prove that Marcus had instigated, promoted, or encouraged the killings, which we know he did. Oh, yeah, for sure. On June 17, 2005, after 10 days of deliberations, the jury reached a unanimous verdict on all 23 counts. He was guilty of nine counts of first-degree murder, guilty of 14 sex crimes, and they considered the special circumstance of multiple murders to be true, which meant that if they decided, he would get the death penalty. The jurors had to get back together to decide if he would face the death penalty. Mm -hmm. Sentencing. Right. Yeah. That only took him took the jury nine hours, and they sentenced him to death. Good. So on July 27, 2005, they had to meet again. Of course, this is for the judge to actually say, right. I agree that you need to go to death. Mm -hmm. Judge R.L. Putnam actually addressed Marcus, and he cited his mind-numbing history of exploitation. The judge said that Wesson controlled his family from the way they lived to how some of them died. And therefore, he upheld the death penalty, and Marcus was sent to San Quentin. San Quentin? Yes. Right after this happened, victims' advocates actually wrote a letter to the judge advising against family visitation from his family members mm -hmm. because they were worried that he could still influence and control. Absolutely. And the judge agreed, so therefore, he could have no family visits at San Quentin. Good. Yes. So I want to point out that I don't remember when it was, but remember the governor of California overturned all the death penalties yeah. and converted them to life sentences? Yes. Yeah. So you know, now he's serving life at San Quentin. So he's still alive? He's still alive. <sighs> I have a chance. 
You have a chance. I have a chance. I don't know how you're going to get in San Quentin. I don't either. Right. They probably wouldn't grant me that five minutes, but... Mm. Oh, man, that... Ooh. And I, I want to point out some of the things about... Because his whole family, like the survivors, the sons, the daughters, the yeah, nieces... Right. They're victims, too. Yeah, absolutely. His wife was a victim. He started indoctrinating her when she was eight. So she was basically raised from a child. So she knows nothing else. I'm wondering. She knows nothing else. Did you find anything out there that says how she's doing now? She actually filed for divorce. She was actually taking um, classes. I don't remember if it was at a community college or at an actual college. I tried to go back and find like more current stuff on his family members. Right. And most of the stuff I can see, it, I mean, it stops at like 2013. And I'm pretty sure they're probably kind of laying low out of the public eye. I mean, who blames them? I can't blame them because them being tied to such a monster. Right. I mean, it, it's it's a cloud. It, and, it's, a, it's a permanent cloud. Right. And, that, and that's what I'm working into. I was going to point out some things. Okay. Right after this happened, the sons, they were already not living in the house. Mm-hmm. So right after this happened, the surviving girls, which was the, I say girls, the mother Elizabeth, Mm -hmm. Keani, Rosie, there was one more I can't think right now. They had nowhere to live because the house was a crime scene. Sure. So the sons had actually pulled their money together and the women were staying in hotel rooms. Mm -hmm. Well, eventually their money was running out. So this lady, and I'd mentioned I had referenced the book in the first episode. One of the books was the by Alyssa Safios. Yep. She was actually a reporter in Fresno at about the time this happened. Okay. And right after this happened, she would actually meet with the family members and kind of not really question them or whatever, but kind of. So she knew uh, the plight that the women were in, and she was also very sympathetic toward them. Yeah, like anybody really would be. Right. You know? So, well, a lot of people weren't. So what I'm going to point out here is that when she would talk with the women, they told her our money's fixing, whatever money we had is fixing to run out. Mm -hmm. We've got to figure out a place to live or we're going to be on the streets. So Alyssa actually would reach out to victims, like advocates or like different places you know, that would step in and help victims right. find places to live. Mm-hmm. She couldn't find any help for these women. So what she did is she actually invited these women to move in her apartment with her because she was a single woman. And she had, a, I think it was a three-bedroom apartment. Mm. So a lot of her book that she wrote was when the women had actually moved in with her. So she's getting firsthand. Yes. Okay. And... I mean, it's a really good book. She was really sympathetic toward them. And, I mean, it's just simple things. The women had never been to the movies. They had never been out to eat. They didn't know how to swim. But he had them living on these damn boats, but these women did not know how to swim. So in this book and and throughout this time that they're living with this reporter, Mm -hmm. did did their mindset change? It took a while, a while. Mm -hmm. Even when he was on trial, a lot of them were still backing him. Backing him. His wife, Elizabeth, it was actually pointed out um, during the trial by the prosecutor 
before Elizabeth would, an would answer a question, she would look at Marcus. Wow. And the prosecutor said, why do you keep looking at him? See, and, that, and I have to think that the judge saw that, the right. juror saw that. That's the kind of control that he had over them. Right. And But the prosecutor would be like, why do you keep looking at I mean, she was, and it was said in the other book that I read, and even I read a, a an article on that prosecutor. Mm -hmm. She's not a prosecutor no more. She's doing something else. But about how she treated victims in other cases. And to me, in this case, Elizabeth was a victim. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, I mean, people can disagree with me. You can agree with me. That's always going to be my opinion. She was a victim. I mean, she was eight. Mm. So, anyways... So the girls would try to find jobs after this happened. They would not be hired because of their last name. So did they change their name? A lot of them did change their name. Good. Um, his oldest son, Dorian, well, I say his oldest son because he did have a son with right. Elizabeth's mother. But his oldest son, Dorian, with Elizabeth, um, a little bit after this happened, he decided that he wanted to start using a keto mm -hmm. as a stress release. Mm-hmm. And he saved up money. He has a girlfriend. They walk into a dojo in Santa Cruz and was going to sign up. Well, the workers told him that they weren't comfortable with him joining their club. See, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, he's being discriminated against. Not because of the color of his skin. Because of his name. It's because of his name and who his dad is. Right. And mm. And I've seen, like, in multiple things where people were like, well, why didn't Elizabeth leave? Or why didn't the kids leave? They didn't know anything. Right. They knew nothing other than this. Yeah. They are victims. Absolutely. And they're going to be dealing with this for now, from now until, you know, whenever mm -hmm. this kind of subsides and stuff. And if it even ever does subside. Uh, or they change their name or, you know, mm -hmm. go by another name. Right. So... It is sad. It is mm -hmm. really, really sad. Yeah, I did see, I couldn't find all the details on it where daughter Gypsy that escaped when she was 19. Mm -hmm. Remember, these kids were homeschooled mm, the yeah. whole time. Mm -hmm. She actually got her high school diploma and actually did graduate from college with a bachelor's degree in business. Good for her. Um, Dorian... Unfortunately, he did die in 2013 from cancer. Really? He, yeah. So, um, one of the sons did become a security guard, security guard, and was actually hoping to become a police officer. I hope he did. I hope so. Um, another son was a personal trainer, and I think some of the other girls were, were I think a couple of them did do school, but like I said, it kind of... You get to about 2013, and then you see nothing else, which I understand that. They're trying to be normal, right. live a normal life. Sure, sure. So, And more power to them. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Maybe the these clouds are parting for them. Right. And I hope that they live normal, right. well-deserved mm -hmm. lives. Yeah. Out from underneath the stress that they had to endure in all of this, I, I really hope that they have good lives. Yes. So, mm -hmm. wow. I mean, just... Horrible. That is insane. I, I just cannot even imagine what these kids, what they were thinking in those last moments in that house when one of their relatives brings them into mm -hmm. a room mm -hmm. 
And then you've got the 18-month-old and the, what was it, 13-month-old? Yeah. I, I just... And a lot of people said, you know, I said Elizabeth went to the doorway, the wife Elizabeth, yeah. and saw Marcus kneel right. down. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why didn't you run in there and do something instead of running to the front door? This well, is she, what was supposed to be going down. This is what he laid out for them. Well, that, and I mean, she's running to the front door because that's where the police are. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is your husband. You know, if you interfere, he's going to beat you. So you're running to the police, you know. I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't think people should question her either. So I, I mean, like I said, she you said it from the time that she was eight years old. Yes. This is what mm-hmm. she knew. So I, Horrible. Mm-hmm. Very horrible. I want him to get what he deserves. I wish and it is that not, he was still getting that damn death penalty. I wish, I wish that he would sit on death row and then have a very painful execution. Mm-hmm. And not in the chair. No. I hope it's at the hands of one of the other inmates mm-hmm. at, at San Quentin. But yeah. that's just me. I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry. So, oh, man. That yeah. was a that was a, heavy that was one. a wild ride. Yeah. So, and I hope and during I thought, that hectic part, everybody yeah. was able to... Because, I mean, yeah. that that was hectic. But mm-hmm. I wanted to put all that in there so everybody could feel. And I did. The I way felt it. it felt that the, day. The way that you told, I felt that. Mm-hmm. I felt I was almost there. Right. You know, and I was seeing it when you were when you were telling the story. I was seeing this going on and I was, officer, get in the house. Get yes. in there. You mm-hmm. know, and it just, oh, my goodness, my blood was boiling. Um, since that happened, there was a business person in the area that actually did buy. We keep saying house. I mean, to them, it was a house, even though it was a business building. That building was purchased, and it was torn down. Were there people, like in the John Wayne case, uh, John Wayne Gacy case, was there people trying to get souvenirs from the house? I don't know. That's never been said anywhere. You know that happened in the John Wayne Gacy house. When it was being torn down, there were people. They was going over there getting bricks. They was over getting bricks and stuff, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. If they did, That's to me, that's just. I don't know why you would want that. No, that's like you know? bringing a, a ghost into your damn house. Damn right. Don't yeah. need that bad juju. No, that was bad juju. Keep that shit. Right. But uh, I wouldn't even re- try to repurpose any of that to build a. You know, or even put in a business or something. You know, sometimes no. when, we, when we renovate mm-hmm. businesses and things, they like to have reclaimed wood or mm-hmm. old bricks or something like that. And I, I wouldn't even want to do that with some of that stuff. It makes it now that we're sitting here talking about this, um, it makes you kind of wonder, like, in the future, should you be like, hey, where'd you get this wood from? Right. Where'd you get this brick from? Mm-hmm. I, I need to know. Yeah. So, damn, that was crazy. Yep. Well, come to the end of this episode, uh, gladly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wish that they wouldn't have overturned the death penalty in California, but uh, they did. Mm -hmm. You know, it is what it is. Right. I hope he meets his death soon. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned 
for the next episode uh, that we have coming up. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, you know you're working on one. I'm working on one. Uh, we have to re-record one that I did because <laughs> it sounds like teetotal shit. Yeah. But stay tuned for that. And look, if this story was horrific, mm-hmm. you know, I thought the Yoakum Krull, which it, it was horrific also, but this one, you know, this one could have been avoided, obviously. Yes. But this, unfortunately, ha- you know, it happens. Right. But um, I don't even have any words I know, to go along I, know. With I don't this even episode. know how to end this one, you know. But yeah. look, if you did not feel what we felt, if right. you did not feel anger, if you did not feel like you wanted to just beat the shit out of Marcus Wesson after he did this to these kids and his family and things, you just may be criminally disturbed. So until the next time, until the next episode, bye for now. Bye.